and uh, First Kings chapter 19, verses 5 through 8. <coughs> Sometimes when our heart is heavy at times and the mind and body are weary, the greatest thing that we need at times is a simple thing called a nap. You know, it does so much. I know a Sunday afternoon nap uh, can do marvelous wonders uh, for our, our, our well-being, our help. And uh, I always remember back when I was uh, there studying for the ministry, uh, I was working many, many long hours, sometimes two jobs and doing school and, and uh, only getting a couple hours of sleep, two to three hours of sleep a night at times. And uh, man, that Sunday afternoon nap, that was like revival. That felt awesome. And here was Elijah. He, is just, he had his uh, encounter there on Mount Carmel, and he's running, for, from the, he's running from Jezebel, and uh, he needed to come apart. And here God allows him to do that. Verses 5 through 8, And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake, bacon on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of, of that meat forty days and forty nights into Oreb, Horeb, the mount of God. So while he's asleep, the, it calls here the angel, the angel of the Lord, uh, a messenger. Now, there's several things that we understand as you think about the angel of the Lord. When the, the Bible uses the phrase, the angel of the Lord, uh, it is oftentimes uh, acting and speaking as God would speak, and uh, it is thought to be a Christophany, Christophany. What that means is that it is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, in Genesis chapter 16, verse 10, we see this. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall, be not num- that it shall not be numbered for multitude. So the, he said, I will multiply your seed. So the angel of the Lord in Genesis 16, 10, as he's speaking there to Sarah, he says, I will multiply your seed. Well, an angel is just a, uh, a, a, an angel or a host of the Lord is a messenger. He doesn't have the ability uh, to multiply the seed, but God does. Uh, we find also in Exodus chapter 3, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire. This is Moses uh, as he's there out with the shepherds. He's there with uh, Zipporah, his wife, uh, and he's a shepherd. He's run for, running from, for his life from the Egyptian king. And uh, the Lord appeared, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. So the angel of the Lord. So again, we find very clearly in Exodus chapter 3 that this is God. The angel of the Lord, a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Judges chapter 2, and the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you to the land which I swear unto your fathers. It goes on. But nevertheless, here in Judges chapter 2, Exodus chapter 3, Genesis chapter 16, and other verses uh, of Scripture, you will find when it talks about the angel of the Lord, uh, it's very clear uh, that it's God. And, uh, and we'll find, we see that. I mean, it, as the angel of the Lord appeared in him in a flame of fire out of the midst, uh, you know, Mo, uh, Moses in that situation would have to take uh, his sandals off of his feet, for he was on holy ground. 
and uh, understanding that the holiness of God is pure. And, and there's a reverence that God expects. Uh, with Exodus chapter 3, we also find God and Lord uh, used in the rest of the chapter. So this was, uh, was our Lord Jesus Christ prior to his incarnation. Incarnation means uh, when he came as a baby, right? That's when he uh, became human flesh, became into human flesh, fully God and fully man. Elijah and the apostle Peter were both awakened by angels. Uh, Elijah, in Acts chapter 12, verse 7, Behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. He smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. His chains fell off from his hand. So here an angel prepared a simple uh, means of giving Peter freedom from prison. Now, uh, here in this case, in uh, 1 Kings 19, this angel prepares food uh, for Elijah. And uh, we find in the very, you know, he's prepared, he's feeding him. We aren't told how long that uh, the Lord permitted Elijah to sleep. But he awakened him the second time and he says, arise and eat, right? And the angel of the Lord came again in the second time. So he knew that Elijah had planned to visit Mount Sinai. Uh, one of the most sacred places in all of Jewish history. And uh, Sinai was located about 250 miles from Beersheba. And so if you, have to, if you have to walk 250 miles, that's a whole long ways to go. And uh, no matter what our destination may be, the, the journey is, is too great for us. Uh, we don't know what lies ahead of us. One of the things that God did for, uh, for Israel... Uh, and, uh, you know, when we're discouraged. In Psalm 78, 19, as Moses questions God, yea, they spake against God, they said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? And even Moses himself would say that. But there in the wilderness, here's all of these Jewish people in the wilderness all by themselves. Have you ever been, just question, have you ever been to the Sinai Peninsula? Did you ever make it up there? Never made it up there? Okay, I was just curious. I know it's a long ways away, but I was just curious if somewhat closer part of the world. But anyways, uh, as you think about this, this desert region, here's all these people in the desert. A desert isn't necessarily teeming with wildlife. Uh, There's not springs of water everywhere. They're in the wilderness. And so they're saying, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? And they exemplified a great lack of faith. And yet, We find in Psalm 23 about the Lord is my shepherd. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. So Elijah obeyed the messenger and was able to travel. He traveled for 40 days and 40 nights on the nourishment of these two meals. Unbelievable. Now, let's look at Isaiah 40, 31. We'll come back here to 1 Kings, but Isaiah 40, 31. And we find kind of a a truth here about the Lord that uh, there's a promise much very similar to what we see in Isaiah 40, 31. It says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Here is Elijah running for his life, tired, weak, weary. We talked about last week that he was on burnout. And, uh, I mean, he's just exhausted. And he'd waited on the Lord. 
You know, he'd be, he, the, the prophets had been hidden for three years. And uh, after he, Elijah prays then, right, he'd hid out the prophets. Uh, they were protected, the 50 prophets that uh, Obadiah, or I think the other prophet, had helped him with. Uh, they go up to Mount Carmel. He then prays for rain. Rain comes. He runs for his life. And then yet again, in his lack of faith, God meets him in his lack of faith and says, hey, why don't you rise up and eat? I got work for you still to do. You know, and, and that's the same thing that God does in our lives, when, especially when weariness and fatigue, uh, discouragement come in our lives, because life's not going the way you thought it should, and uh, things are a little bit more difficult than what you had anticipated. Oh, we find God, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And, and God comes along and he says, listen, listen, I need you to get close to me. I need you to stay close with me. Now, Elijah isn't wholly living in the will of God here. He's running, right? He, he, didn't, he didn't ask God what to do. He just ran. Well, there's danger. I'm running. You know, that's our natural inclination, uh, fight or flight. But he wasn't going to fight. Uh, he's up against the queen, and, and she was uh, no match physically. And uh, she had an army to command, uh, obviously because Ahab was, uh, was a very passive man, and he was really not a leader. She was a leader in the home. And... Uh, but he was smart enough, what he did here is he waits on the Lord, and he's here, and he's all by himself, and, and God meets him. You know, what God uses sometimes, and this uh, isn't necessarily, it could just be an actual angel and not a Christophany, the pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, uh, but nevertheless, this angel, his ambassadors, are sent uh, to minister to his peoples. And uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, just a real quick aside as we speak about angels, uh, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? And the angels that God sends, and, and in Psalm 91.11, look with me here. Uh, Psalm 91.11, that uh, another passage on angels. <clears throat> it is un- important to understand that God has a host uh, of angels in heaven. And uh, the ministering spirits... Uh, we would find that there in the Garden of Eden, as I'll talk about here shortly. But the angels would minister to the Lord Jesus Christ there in the garden as he's sweating, as it were, sweat drops of blood. Uh, and it says the angels ministered unto him. Uh, they encouraged him. They strengthened him. In Psalm ninety-one, eleven, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. You know what? If you want to honor and serve the Lord, God says, listen, I'm going to help you move forward. I'll send my angels, they'll help you. It doesn't mean you'll be without struggles. I mean, just consider this. Was Elijah's life, uh, was it easy? If you read of any great character in the scriptures, I mean, uh, you read about Daniel, you read about David, you read about Joseph, you read about uh, uh, Elijah or Elisha, any one of these, uh, or even the women in the same sense. Uh, I mean, that widow woman whom Elijah ministered to. You read about uh, the ladies there at the tomb that came to see Jesus, and uh, the life and, and the troubles and the struggles, the persecution that would come against them. Uh, anytime someone wants to do something great for God, there will be opposition. And so God sends his angels to fight. You know what? One of those things of knowing in our Christian life, there may be those that say, hey, if you trust Jesus and, and uh, you put your faith in Jesus, God's going to help you to have a wonderful life. You'll have a wonderful life, but it doesn't mean it's going to be a life without struggles because it's those struggles that show me my weakness of how much I need him. The persecution lets other people see how I respond to uh, unfair treatment. It's kind of interesting. Our daughter at times, she'll say, that's unfair. 
well, I said, life's unfair. And, uh, uh, you know, oftentimes as a kid, my parents would tell me, life's unfair, build a bridge and get over it. Uh, I don't know how much that helped, but they would always tell me, build a bridge and get over it. But uh, we find also in Daniel, an angel rescued me. You know, an angel rescued him from, uh, it shut the mouth of the lions. The angel uh, there, Jesus, as he was, uh, the angels ministering to Jesus as he was 40 days and 40 nights uh, in the desert. At the first part, as he, before he entered the ministry. The angels strengthened him in Luke 22, uh, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, strengthening him. Acts 27, 23, For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. Uh, the Apostle Paul, on board a ship, he said, hey, the angel strengthened me. We also find something else interesting about these angels, much like they did with Elijah here, but you want to know something else? Luke 15, 7, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. More than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. Luke 15, 10, likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. You know what? The, there is a choir of angels in heaven. When someone comes to know Jesus Christ, they begin to shout out loud. Hallelujah. I mean, they begin to sing when someone comes to know Jesus Christ. And when we arrive in heaven and, and we have the opportunity to walk on the streets of gold and, and uh, we'll discover strangers Maybe who helped us in different ways. Maybe, well, you know, I'd like to go back through my life and, you know, maybe think in my own life, have I ever encountered angels? You know, sometimes it talks about uh, entertaining angels unawares, being open to being hospitable. Now, as we come here, is the, the journey is a, an incredible journey, 250 miles, 200 miles, 250 uh, for Elijah to travel. And, and then verse 9 of 1 Kings 19, coming back to our main passage of Scripture, and he came thither unto a cave, and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now, in this pity party that Elijah is throwing, this is only partly true. Yes, they did slay the prophets. Uh, some of the prophets were slain. But at the same sense, not, much, not, not too long ago, in the distant past, from this perspective here, the 450 prophets of Baal had been slain. Right? And, and Elijah didn't do all of it. 450 prophets of Baal. Someone had to help round them up and slay these prophets. So uh, what he's saying here in our pity party, we look in our pity party at small little things uh, because, you know what, it helps us feel like we feel better, right? I can, uh, it brings some comfort to pity myself. <laughs> and he said, uh, you know, and I and only I am left and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the, fire was, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. I mean, it's been three weeks since Elijah has fled from Jezreel, and 
you know, he's in a hurry to put miles between himself, but yet, <laughs> why did it take him so long? Why is it, you know, here is Israel's unbelief there at Kadesh Barnea that led to the judgment. If you go back in history, uh, I was there at Kadesh Barnea where God would say, everyone 20 years of age and older will never enter the promised land. And uh, it was Elijah's unbelief here and uh, fear that led him to, to journeying into the desert. You know what? That is the truth in our lives. When we uh, live our lives in fear, many times it brings upon us uh, a greater emptiness, greater dryness of soul. And Jesus, before he started his ministry, spent 40 days and 40 nights fasting. And it says afterwards he was hungered. Since he was heading for Sinai, Elijah may have planned a trip so he could spend 40 days in the wilderness to imitate maybe Moses on the mount. Elijah had to deal with Baal worship. He had to deal with all of the spiritual baggage of the people around him. And so he goes into this cave and he says, Ah, it's quiet. I don't have anyone bothering me. I don't have any prophets. It's just me. And here he is, and here in his place, thinking he can make a retreat for himself, and I'm going to solve my problems by running away from them. He was depressed. He wanted to give up life. And God comes to him and says, what in the world are you doing here? What doest thou here, Elijah? Elijah, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. You know, he doesn't answer the question why he's there. God, I don't, I don't trust you. I'm fearful. I mean, that's the honest answer. But he says, God, you know, your people, the children of Israel, they've forsaken you. And I'm the only one left. I mean, he defers the blame to other people. I'm, I'm doing right, but everyone else is doing wrong. There's no one else that wants to do right. There's no one that wants to seek you. I'm the only one. I'm the only remnant. Ever feel like that? You feel like you're the only one that's holding up the mantle for the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's a faithful servant hiding out in a cave hundreds of miles from the place he's supposed to be ministering. And in this reply, Elijah reveals his pride and his self-pity. Because he says, they, the children of Israel, have forsaken thy covenant thrown down thine altars they right and slain thy prophets with a sword and i even i i mean he's he's all saying they have done wrong i'm doing right i have a right to be here you ever felt like that i'm the only one left you know it can be a lonely place when you want to do right in the midst of those who don't want to do right when those that don't want to pursue god those who have different objectives, who have different uh, motivations and a focus for life, it can be very discouraging. And it's here in this place that we need to hear the still small voice of God. The Lord passes by, much like he did with Moses. And uh, Exodus 33, And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and shall come to pass while my glory passeth by that I'll put thee in a cliff of the rock and co will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. This is the Lord speaking to Moses. And you know what Elijah needed? He said, I need a renewal of service. 
I need a fresh vision of the power and the glory of God. And that's what you and I need as, we're, as you're listening, you know, as you think about your life, maybe you're saying, I'm just getting discouraged. I need that renewal. I need that reviving. I need that strength. And, and so God causes a great wind and it breaks the rocks, tears the, the, I mean, it just tears the mountain and no divine message came. The Lord causes a great earthquake. Still no message. A fire came. Still no message. As you think about something that maybe he thought about giving the law as much like Moses did in Exodus 19. Verses 16 through 18, It came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount. And the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. This is there in the Jewish, uh, as Moses is on the mount. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as a smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. You know, what we like, I mean, it's amazing if we were to see God work in an amazing way. I mean, if God was to write lightning and, and uh, he was to write in the clouds, God is alive, or I am God, or something like that. I mean, we would love to see some miraculous, uh, I mean, just unbelievable display of his power. But many times, uh, the winds, the earthquakes, and the fire are all meant that the Lord uses to manifest himself to mankind, that I am God, I'm powerful. Now these will demonstrate uh, the, you know, the, the God is in control, that He is the Creator. And the pagan nations can see all of these powers, the sights, and worship. Uh, they worship, but unfortunately, the pagan nations, they worship the powers of nature. And you would find that in the Scriptures and even in our day. But when the Jews saw these powers... The earthquake, the fire, the wind, they would worship the God who created them. And there will be in the last days, in the tribulation period, there will be unbelievable earthquakes, fire, hail. I mean, there's going to be hail so large, I mean, it's just going to squish people. Huge, massive things of hail that will come down from the sky. And people will be perish under the weight of these from the heavens. But... In the same demonstration of God's power, he comes to Elijah in a still small voice. As you do think about this idea of the excellent and magnificent and overwhelming power of the Lord, there is coming a day, the day of the Lord as the scriptures talk about. That's the time from the tribulation uh, moving forward of God's judgment upon humanity. You'll have the seven-year tribulation. After the tribulation, uh, then uh, all believers, there will be a lot of people who will be saved during that seven-year tribulation period when there will be the one-world government, the one-world ruler, uh, the false prophet, the, uh, presumably the Roman Catholic Church will assume uh, as second in command, and uh, everyone will be required to take the mark of the beast. Now, we as Christians uh, now will already be gone. We'll be up with Jesus in heaven we won't be a part of this but the day of the lord is a day when god uh, will pour out his wrath his uh, upon humanity and a sun darkened waters into blood waters uh, polluted and there will be a great 
I mean, over half the world's population will be destroyed in a seven-year period. It's unbelievable. There's a destruction coming, and, and God will not put up with the evil of our day. It is coming, and it's coming soon. And as we think about the display of the power of God, the day of the Lord, Isaiah chapter 13, if you want to look with me here at Isaiah chapter 13, uh, I'll give you a little bit of a preview of this. We've dealt with this some uh, here in, in the tribulation period as we've gone through some eschatology, eschatology, eschatos, a word that means last or last days. So eschatology is the study of end times. And uh, as we <clears throat> study this, that believers will be raptured up into heaven. Uh, we will be, you know, in a moment, in a twinkling of the eye, we'll be with the Lord in heaven for all of us as believers now. The dead in Christ will rise first. Those who have uh, died before us uh, as believers, they will go up to heaven and then we'll follow them. We're going to be right on their heels following up into heaven. And what a glorious day that will be. Isaiah thirteen nine. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate. He shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened and is going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. Imagine this, a dark planet. A dark planet will bring cold. A dark planet will bring unbelievable fear. Have you ever been in a place and the lights were turned off and it was pitch black? I mean, you couldn't even see your hand in front of you. I was down below in the, in the, in the mines and... Other times, I mean, it's so black, you're so disoriented, you can't see anything, even a hand in front of your face. And what happens? All of your senses are shut off. I mean, you're just like, okay, i got to feel my way, I don't know where I'm at. And especially, I mean, the, the earth at that time, it's, I mean, there's going to be a, a short period of time. The, the lights will go out, the stars of heaven, the water's polluted, animals dying, people dying, unbelievable death. And people will have fear. And God will seek for man to turn to him. And yet in their fear, there will be scorpions, uh, almost like an awful bite. Four months of excruciating pain and people won't be able to die. And they'll want to die, but they can't die. I mean, it's like living zombies. And uh, I'm not saying it's going to be like what... Hollywood depicts, but I'm saying there's a period of time so horrible upon this world that is coming that man's going to wish to die and they will curse God rather than put their faith in God. It's unbelievable. Matthew 24, 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars shall fall from heaven, the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. If you were to read Revelation chapters 6 through 16, we are not going to do that for the sake of time. But uh, uh, perhaps the Lord is telling Elijah, you feel like you failed to judge the sin in Israel. But Elijah, know this, that one day there's coming a great judgment upon Israel. We're in the times of the Gentiles, but yet after all of this dramatic display of God's power, how does God appear to Elijah? A small, gentle voice. He steps out of this cave after all the noise. And he has a still, small voice. It's kind of like with Jonah, right? Jonah running from God there in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, as we find, <clears throat> I'll just read this, Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise. Right? Like, Jonah, what are you doing here? Why, why are you, you know, 
I've told you to do something. I want you to do it. Elijah, what are you doing here? God, I'm, I'm kind of scared. Right? In verse 2, God tells Jonah 3, 2, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid, and I bid thee. He says, Jonah, I've already told you. I want you to go. I've told you where to go, and I've told you what to say. You must go. And it's here in this responses of Elijah, the same self-centered, evading, evasive responses. You know when God calls us to do something many times, uh, we might be saying, well, Lord, I'm not, uh, I'm not educated enough, I'm not smart enough, I don't speak well enough, I don't do this. I mean, we have all sorts of things that we want to throw towards the Lord, uh, trying to convince him that uh, maybe he's wrong in his assessment of our calling. And so God uses the still, small voice. I mean, in this whole thing, again, maybe God is saying to Elijah, you called fire from heaven, I answered. I, I mean, I totally demolished you know, all of this. You prayed for rain, rain came. Do you not think, Elijah, that I'm still with you? And one of the things that we find, mankind's heart, humanity's heart, our hearts can get so hard and we can begin to look for all of these wonders and signs and miracles and all of these things to look for God. And God says, in my word, the still small voice. It's amazing what the word of God, as we read it in his spirit, speaks to my spirit, what it can do. It can gently calm me, comfort me. It can gently kick me in the backside saying, hey, get up, get going. What are you doing here? God's word, Deuteronomy 32.2, My doctrine shall drop as the rain, my speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tendered herb and the showers upon the grass. He does say something very specifically. He says, my doctrine. You know what? God's word is his doctrine. God has a specific way we are to worship him. Uh, it's not under this idea that we can worship God however we want. How about we come to God's word and let him tell us how we ought to worship him? Uh, God tells us uh, how to do church. God tells us how, to, uh, you know, how we ought to orchestrate our lives and, and how to live for him. God gives us all of this. You know, and there's a day uh, at many churches, you know, this idea of massive meetings and loud music and high-pressure commotion and high-pressure for people to flood the altars and all sorts of things, uh, and all of this dramatic display. But you know what God used sometimes to start the Jewish nation? Uh, he, started, he sent a baby Isaac to Abraham and Sarah. When he wanted to deliver Israel from Egypt, what did he do? He sent a baby, Moses. When he wanted to deliver the Israelites from Goliath, he sent a teenager. When he wanted to save the world, what did Jesus come? As a babe in a manger. In a very quiet way. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, you know, in earthen vessels. And Dr. Oswald, J., uh, Oswald Sanders states that the whispers from Calvary are infinitely more potent than the thunder of Sinai in bringing men to repentance. It's sometimes just the simple, the simple message in the quiet voice. You know what? Sometimes the loudest voice that resonates with an individual is when you go to lay down to sleep 
And God's Spirit begins to speak to you as you lay on your pillow. And you come under conviction. You know what God does with him, with Elijah? Rather than saying, Elijah, I'm done with you for being a whiny, complaining, miserable, unfaithful servant. He doesn't say that to him. We get a message of hope, verse 15. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way uh, to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. It shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet have I left me seven thousand Israel, all the knees which have not bailed into Baal, uh, not bowed unto Baal, excuse me, in every mouth which hath not kissed him. So he departed thence and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And uh, so here's an in, uh, interesting thing, that uh, when we're out of the Lord's will, he has to return. When we're out of God's will, sometimes we have to retrace the same steps that got us out of God's will. Right, you got to walk back. Have you ever been on a path? I know I've been hiking in the woods and I went down the wrong way. If you go down the wrong way, many times what do you have to do? You have to turn around and come back out to get back onto the path that you knew. And I remember that one time I was lost in the woods for several hours and I was kind of, I was starting to get nervous. Uh, and I had to retrace my steps many a times. And such it is in our lives when we get out of our God's will. And so God tells him, hey, retrace your steps, go back. Uh, and I want you to get back to the place where you're supposed to be, and I want you to anoint Hazael to be king. So Elijah, God says, I want you to go serve. You know, Samuel uh, mourned over the failure of Saul, but, and God rebuked him. You know, in 1 Samuel 16, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go, I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite. There's times in our lives where someone can, there's a person in our life, we think, man, God's going to do something great, and all of a sudden, in that, in that life, they make some really bad decisions. And we're heartbroken over the decision we've seen in the individual's life. We see them going down a path, and, and we're just heartbroken, and we're thinking, God, please get a hold of them, change them, break their heart. And, and here is Samuel, the prophet, he was broken over Saul's uh, a departure from God. I mean, he's just absolutely broken. God says, Samuel, get up. I'm going to anoint a new king. No matter how much or how often God's servants fail him, God is never at a loss of what to do. Our job is to obey God's word and to do what he's called us to do. Elijah's first responsibility is to go anoint Hazael, to be king of Syria. And we find this very task that, you know, the Gentile nation, but it was still the Lord who chose leader. Isn't it amazing that God is calling Elijah to go anoint a king over Syria? This is a Gentile nation. A Gentile nation, and he's anointing king. That's amazing. It, it does ring true, as we find there uh, in, in the scriptures, that, you know, that God anoints kings and removes kings. God is still in control of who is overseeing nations. He understands, and you're thinking, there are some really corrupt people. But I want you to understand that God still knows. Elijah had complained. This generation, God, they're all lost. They're all done. 
And God says, no, I'm not done with them yet. The people of the Lord weren't named especially significant, you know, in that day, but Hazael. And by the time Elisha and Jehu completed their work, Baal worship was almost wiped out, you know. God had done an unbelievable work under under Elijah and Elisha. Something amazing happens, though. God would use the, the swords of Haziel and Jehu, the words and works of Elisha, to accomplish his plans. And one of the things we find as we come to uh, Elijah's life here is that God, <clears throat> I want you to look with me here, he escaped, and it, verse 17, shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. So he departed thence, and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. And he with the twelve, and Elisha passed by him, and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen, and ran after Elijah, and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him, and took a yoke of oxen, and slew them, and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. You know, Elijah's conducts here, he was, <laughs> he did have, Elijah had obedience sometimes. But Elisha shows us of a man unbelievable. I mean, Elijah didn't say a word. He just goes to him, he throws his mantle on him. Now, Elisha, his name means God has salvation. Twelve yoke of oxen. To have 12 yoke of oxen would be 24 animals, and that would be very expensive. And so he was probably from a very well-to-do family. And God is saying, Elijah, there's still a remnant. There's still people which are not willing to bow down. No matter how bleak and how horrible and how many times it might seem like people are going away from God. God says, I will leave me a remnant. There will still be faithful people. Elisha had wholehearted obedience. I mean, Elisha just said, okay, I'm going to slay the oxen. And I'm going to serve the Lord. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, he turns his back on on his career. He's slaying them all. And he says, I'm on my way out. I mean, he kills them. That's an expensive thing that he does. He burned his bridges. No turning back. And Elisha's family and friends viewed this sudden change of vocation. And he went. Elijah walked by sight, not by faith, yet the Lord sustained him. Elijah walked by sight, not by faith. Elisha walked by faith. And Elisha did many wonderful things for the Lord. And we'll talk more about that. We ought not to be too hard on Elijah. We must keep them in mind. We must look to the future and to seek to enlist others to serve the Lord and to glamorize or criticize the past, our past, it doesn't do much. What's important is that we get involved and we move forward. God buried his workers, but his work goes right on. What happens here, God's saying, Elijah, I'm about ready to take you out and I want someone to follow you. 
God always has. You know what? We're never indispensable. Elijah might have thought, I'm the only one left. God, if you get rid of me, none of us are indispensable. You know what? God will find someone else that will step in and say, hey, I want to do the work. And you know what, my friend? May we be faithful to God and carry on, much like the Lord did with Elijah. Found him in a rock, said, hey, get back to work. Elisha, I'm going to serve God. You know what? God's called me. doesn't matter what I'm going to do. I remember leaving engineering, leaving the military, and going to serve God. Turned the back and said, God, I'm going to serve you with all. You know what? There's never been a better thing if we serve God and we're in the center of his will. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you for this day. I thank you what an amazing Savior you are. Lord, I pray uh, that you'd help us to be found faithful. I pray that, uh, Lord, we would honor you. And Lord, lead us and guide us in all that we say and do. Lord, help us not to pity, be in self-pity, but Lord, help us to be in faith, much like Elisha had. I love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. God bless.